Good afternoon. Welcome to episode night. 25. That's right. And a good night. Episode 25 of Myth Take, Fresh Take on Ancient Myth. I'm Darren. I'm Allison. Yep. And we're your hosts yet yep. again. Today, tomorrow, and in the future. Welcome to our new listeners, and thank you to our old listeners for That's sticking right. with us. Keep listening. Yes. Our, you'll have noticed our schedule has gotten very sporadic, despite our best efforts. And so time for everyone. We're just going to be a sporadic podcast. Yep. Too bad. We'll land in your ears when we're able to. You got it. <laughs> So, Darren, what have you been up to this summer? Uh, well, this was a unique opportunity to go out and look at some stars. So, the Perseid meteor shower was upon us um, about the 12th, 13th, 14th of this month, and we decided to go out and have a look at it, and uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, we tried to record something from the field, but it didn't uh, work out quite as well. <laughs> I thought it would have been great. I don't know. Maybe we'll put it up on Patreon. You would have been thoroughly <laughs> underwhelmed. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It was fun though to mm-hmm. uh, to be out looking at the stars. It's nice. It's a good. It's a, it's a it's a a break, you know, to go yeah. out. You get so used to being indoors, and and you just forget to look up and and experience sort of the majesty of it, you know. Like it's a kind of a universal human experience, but it's very grounding at the same time. It's spiritual. Yeah, Does it's that really, sound corny to you to no, say it's spiritual? No, um, it, I think it's really cool to look at these stars and to know that people have been looking at these same stars for millennia sure. and have these stories and made these constellations. Yeah. Um, and I also just like, the, there's just something magical I find about yeah. a summer's night in in July or August, especially in August, yeah. with the crickets and the quiet and the dark. And there's just something really beautiful about it. Sure. We didn't see any fireflies though, where we were. Um, no. Either time, but that's okay. We saw fireflies in the sky. Yeah, we saw meteors. Now meteors. we now caveat here: we did not go out at Shooting the peak stars. time. Mm-hmm. The peak time to see the the peak time of night to to see the Perseid me- meteor shower is apparently mm-hmm. actually okay. The peak time for just the number of meteors yes. is actually dawn to noon. But oh, you yeah. can't see them because of the daylight. So well, kind of the second best time is yeah. n- is midnight to dawn. Right. Um, we went out a bit earlier, about 10 or 11 at night. So we, we didn't yeah. see a huge number of them. Not as many as I've seen in the past. But we did see some good ones. Oh, yeah. And we did have some kind of intermittent cloud cover, too, working against us. Second time out, though, was really good it in was that regard. Good. Very yeah. clear. And I think yeah. we were in a better location. Location yeah. away from the light pollution of the city. But that's have an hard. Open, it is hard. We have an open skyline. Mm-hmm. Even a tree line is, is like, you'd be surprised how it obscures your vision. Especially if you're looking at constellations that are fairly low to the horizon. And we got lucky on our second second night because we had a massive horizon line. And mm-hmm. we were able to see constellations that, you know, ordinarily would be obscured. Just as plain and simple. Yeah, yeah. and we had the night sky app on my yeah. phone that second night too which helped us identify some yes, of the some of the constellations too if, if you're interested in astronomy and you're interested in doing star viewing and going out and look i encourage you to put it on your ipad or at least on your iphone and you know go out and use it and it's so much fun and it has a nice um night viewing mode night viewing mode so yeah. it doesn't wreck your yeah. wreck your like a low vision. light red 
Yeah. You know, something yeah. that doesn't throw too much wavelengths. Yeah. Yeah. So the Perseid meteor showers are pretty darn cool. Yeah, we need some science. You need some science. So well, you first know of all, <laughs> I know you've I know you've got some science, and we're gonna you gonna get some science. And then the other thing was, you know, one of the things to now here's this is a spoiler in some way, right? You talk about once you teach someone something, you can't really unteach them that thing, right? So now people are gonna get some of the mystery and some of the magical qualities that we were just talking about will be obliterated. I disagree. Right? Okay. I think sometimes well, I, it can be enhanced. I think yeah. sometimes when when you know the science, yeah. I find yeah. anyway yes. that it kind of adds to it mm -hmm. because it adds It's an interesting it, philosophical question. Well, and that's what we do here on Myth Take is provide yes. interesting philosophical questions. I think questions. knowing the science sometimes makes it more interesting because then you think, well, we know this little itty bitty thing. How much more we don't know? And, oh yeah, and, it's humbling. And also about our place in the cosmos. Oh, as, totally. As well. If science is your gateway to that existential, ontological question, then so be it. But many of those questions are raised easily as well for us and the ancients simply by looking at the sky, right? And we want to. We want to. You know, I just thought it would be kind of neat to say, you know. Once you, this is the thing. Once someone points out a constellation to you, you can't not see that constellation anymore. I to what an eight-year-old looks up at the sky and just sees a smattering of white lights that are up there and sees stars, and then you point it out to them with a flashlight or a laser pen or something, they can't not see it anymore. I might have to disagree with you on that because my memory is so terrible. The only there's only two constellations I can pick out: Orion, and and even then, just his belt usually. Um, and the Big Dipper, and now thanks to you, Cassiopeia. So three constellations that I can pick up. The rest to me are just a smattering of stars. You pick them up like you pick up an alphabet. Yes, right? I yeah. suppose so. Yeah. So the Perseid meteor shower. Would you like some science? I want it? some science. Can we ring the science bell? Bing! Science, please. All right. So the Perseid meteor shower. I thought it was called the Perseids because it comes from the constellation Perseus, and mm -hmm. that makes a logical. Yes. That follows logic. Yes. But I just came across uh, another reference that it's actually from the Perseidae, uh -huh. gr the Greek word Perseidae, which uh -huh. means the sons of Perseus. And this is a case where knowing that yeah. makes it way cooler. That's sure. a whole other layer of... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of cool too for heroic, for uh, mythological heroes because he's one of the early ones that we study. His His myth is not contained in any one particular source and he is often seen as a a prototype a forefather of many other types of heroes so this is the first one and when you see those shooting stars coming down you're seeing his sons coming to earth right yeah, yeah there you go see doesn't so, that make it way yeah, cooler knowing yeah that? it makes it way cooler so okay. yeah, see the demigods right so heracles the meteor shower peaks around August 12th to 11th, but it actually runs from mid-July until kind of the end of August. Yeah, so big event. Hence, 
one of the reasons I think that we associate meteor showers with summers because we have this annual meteor shower in the summer. Oh. And also because I think we're more, uh, more likely to go outside at night in the summer than in the winter. And for our international listeners, just so you know, we are located in Canada yeah. and in the Northern Hemisphere right. because that also makes a difference with our personal it's experiences. It's been an astrological bonanza in the last little while because we just had solar eclipse too. We did. We did. So we've got all that. Yeah, and I the don't think we're really going to be talking no. about that. But, but the Perseids uh, coincided with a full moon this year. Yes, it did. Yes, which yeah. did not diminish the glory of the Perseids. No. Be, because they can be pretty darn bright. Yeah, yeah. Some big flashes. So. Shooting stars. Our first record of the Perseid meteor shower yeah. appears to be 36 AD. Okay. So one of the early astronomers, and I didn't write down who it was. It was probably Ptolemy. That'd be my guess. Yeah, Alexandrian. Yeah. Alexandrian. Um, the constellations around Perseus all relate to Perseus's myth. And those, we have we have records of those because of Ptolemy in, actually no, Ptolemy's the second century. So a little bit later than, than that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so what are meteors? Meteors are debris that falls, that enters into Earth, Earth's atmosphere right. and burns up. Burns. And there's very technical language that I forgot to write down between it, a meteor and a meteorite and a meteoroid. Yeah. Do you have Me a meteor is what we call it when it's in space. Uh, a meteorite is what's left if any of it survives and hits the ground. Right? But there's also a meteoroid. Meteoroid? There's three different... Anyway, one of our science experts yeah. can set us straight on that because I forgot like to write it asteroid. down. Because depending on what it is doing at the time, it... Sure. I think the meteoroid is the chunk of rock if it makes it to the ground. Oh, maybe. Okay. Most of most meteorite. meteorites Look, burn up. Look, it's a meteor. In, <laughs> like, you know, people are like, it's a meteor. Most so. most meteorites burn up in the Earth's atmosphere. That's why I'm, I, I like the falling star idea, like the shooting star idea. Remember all those great terms we got from uh, Twitter that had those Do three you remember terms? them? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember them. I know one was called a fire drake. That one I like. Fire, oh, yes. And the one I liked was a phasm. Because it it's Greek, it's a, like ghost, like Edelon, right? Ooh, it's yeah. there and then it's, it's an gone. illusion. Yeah, it's Ooh. like an illusion, right? I don't know what the other one was. Something like frost, something fire or something. I yeah. don't remember. Yeah, but I got more science. More science. Hit us okay. with some science. So these meteors that we can call shooting stars yes. or fire drake or whatever yeah. else you want to call phasms. Um, the this time of year, our Earth goes through. Yeah. Where the orbit intersects with this cloud of debris that yeah. comes off of a comet. Right. Because comets are just balls of rock and dust and ice yeah. that orbit around the sun. Yeah. And as they get closer to the sun, some of that debris falls off. And that's what creates the comet's sure. tail Cometary when tail. we get to see them. Yeah. And it kind of leaves, leaves this cloud of dust. Space is a really dirty place. When well, when you start reading about all of the things floating around up there. Yeah, the big place. <laughs> that, that we don't Thank see. Thank God for that. So this particular comet uh, debris cloud that yeah. we go through, it's called the Perseid cloud. Oh, that's and it's cool. Off I didn't of, know the Perseid cloud. Yeah, it's off of the comet Swift-Tuttle. That I knew. Do you remember seeing Swift-Tuttle? Yes. Do you remember what year you saw Swift-Tuttle? Uh, that would be early 90s. Correct. 1992, I'm going to guess. Right on. Oh, there you go. See, 1992. Was, yeah. And... When will you see, see Swift Tuttle again? I have no idea. I don't know what it's... <laughs> Trick question. I don't know. Trick question, because it's yeah. on a 133-year orbit. I won't make it around so again. So if you missed it in 1992... My... You'll have to be chirogenically frozen and revived yes. for 2126. My uh, next life 
I'll be waiting, you know, to you know come back around again. Maybe a couple of lives, to be honest. Oh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. That's, yeah. 133 years is a yeah. long time. <laughs> I'll be, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Um, and most of the meteors burn up about 80 kilometers above the Earth. And I think this is really cool. Yeah, they don't um, make it very far, do they? And I don't know if other people feel this way looking at the sky. But we, but I, when I look at the sky, you look up and your vis- there's nothing to interrupt your vision until the stars. And so there's no, it's hard to really have a sense of just how tall the sky is sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then when you see something like the Northern Lights or you see something like the Space Shuttle, because we saw the yes. Space Shuttle going by each International night. Space Station inter- as well. Space Station, yes. sorry. Um, those kinds of things remind you that there is this atmosphere above us. There's a and, sea, yeah. Yeah, right. and, yeah, we're at the bottom of it. Exactly, mm-hmm. right? So these meteors, these shooting stars that we're seeing, they're burning up. They're 80 kilometers above us. That's good height. Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty good height. And thank God for it, too. But, you know, when you do see pictures of the Earth from space, from the International Space Station, looking down, it is almost the other, other feeling. When we're here... Looking up, yeah, you can get that idea of the vastness of it. But when you're looking from space, it's just a thin little nothing, yeah. right? So it makes it seem more fragile. It yeah. makes it seem more... But 80 kilometers isn't even that much. No, it's not. It's not much at all. Yeah. No, but, you know, again, though, like, it's, it's your experience of it from on the ground looking up is different than yes. it is from above looking down, yes. you know? Yes. Yeah. So the comment, um, the Swift-Tuttle comment, Comet, as as I said, yeah, comets comet. are these balls, balls of ice and dust. Ice and dust, and yeah. it, that forms the nucleus of the comet. Yeah, um, and in orbit our sun. And for Swift Tuttle, it's uh, twenty six kilometers in diameter. Well, that's that cool. that, that's that nucleus, so the solid stuff, and then yeah. like all of the dust. Yeah, uh, dust massive. around it. Corona. And I've forgotten now. Corona um, I know one of our listeners is probably standing in her kitchen. Reminding, trying to <laughs> trying to tell me what the Latin word is, but the Latin for for comets is hairy star. Okay. Um, there's there's a connection there because it, a comet in the sky looks kind of like a star, but it's, it's bigger and it's fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fuzzy. tail, furry tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, and as as I said, it won't be around again for a really long time. I also found an, another interesting mythological connection here, yeah. um, and that is there is an interpretation of the Perseid meteor shower or a mythological rendering of them as the tears of St. Lawrence. Okay. And St. Lawrence in the Catholic tradition was martyred by being burned alive and mm-hmm. his feast day is August 10th and so the meteor shower was then interpreted to be the embers from the fire that was burning him up wow. and I think that's kind of an interesting thing to know because even though it's not not an interpretation that or, or a mythology that uh, you or I are familiar with mm-hmm. in looking at the stories of, of some of the constellations cultures come up with their own versions of the constellations and yeah. of the phenomenon in the sky and fit them in with their mythologies. And, totally. and I'm using mythology here, not um, yeah. not to, de- to denigrate anyone who believes that, but in the technical sense of, of these stories. Yeah. So anyway, um, the Perseid meteor shower was associated with Perseus and kind of with that constellation was earmarked as, as that constellation in 1835. Mm-hmm. And and then in 1866, they figured out the connection between the Perseid shower and the Swift-Tuttle comet. 
okay, so that took some, took some time. So relatively recently. And um, when I was just doing some online research, uh-huh. <laughs> a.k.a. Googling in this case, mm-hmm. um, about some of the constellations around Perseus mm-hmm. and his myth, um, it was really interesting to see how the 19th century artists and astronomers depicted the constellations um, differently from the way we do today. So they still had kind of the stars, and we'll, I'll put the pictures up on our blog so so you can see them, mm-hmm. but they still had like the stars, but then kind of all the lines around the star that fill out that shape, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I thought that was That's a very human thing, right? Mm-hmm. We project, right? We create, we, we project ourselves and our stories onto those structures. We see patterns. Even when there are not, that might be part of the imagination machine that, that mankind is, right? Like, so we see those types of things and we have these stories and someone says, hey, doesn't that kind of look like a guy? And then the next thing you know, oh yeah, it's whatever, right? And then we move forward and uh, the, each sort of different sort of set of stories takes up a different sort of feel on it and so on and so forth, right? So that's kind of neat. It's like a cultural appropriation of the sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Greeks did it. Romans did it, Babylonians did it, Mesopotamians did it, Egyptians did it, everybody did Chinese it. Have Chinese have a lot of... Chinese did, yeah. Indians did, yeah. right? We've been doing it since the Neolithic, right? The st- we've been tied, a human life has been tied to reading the cosmos in some form or another through pattern since the model first, you know, evolved, right? We, it dictates our seasons. Right? It tells us when to grow crops. It tells us when to go to war. It warns us of portents, all those types of things, right? It tells us how to navigate. Right? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Right? So what I also thought was kind of cool yeah. was that we That's have the Perseid showers and they come out of Perseus, but all around Perseus are other figures from his mythology. Yeah, there's a little collection in that area. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, we've Talk got, about the mythology. <laughs> well, it is, it's, you know, there are sort of a little family group that's over there, right? You do have Perseus, right, which is the first of, uh, you know, the, of one of the earliest Greek heroes that we have, one of the earliest demigods that we have, right? A son of Zeus and, and, and uh, Diana, not Diana, uh, Danai, right? Uh, he's the famous Gorgon killer, right? The slayer of Medusa, right? The... the winner of Pegasus and all that type of cool stuff, right? Um, and uh, he, uh, oh no, he doesn't win Pegasus. He gives, he's there, to, he's the agent that creates Pegasus. Um, he has the flying sandals. Yes. Right? Yeah, so he's flying yeah. sandals. Anyways, uh, very heroic, right? But an atypical heroic model considering what we get later on because, you know, all these things in different fashions, things change, right? He has a good relationship with the gods for the most part. He uses divine apparatus and returns it. He, the female goddesses seem to like him. The women seem to like him. He doesn't, he doesn't you know, kill He's not them. always so good going the other way. Yeah. Isn't he? No, he's good going oh, the he, other way too. He's oh, kind I, see, of like... I always get him confused with Theseus. Yeah, he's kind of like Perseus. I know, well, yeah, yeah you've got to need a mnemonic to lock that in. But yeah, Perseus. Sorry. Perseus is kind of like your white knight character, yes, that's right? right. He, he's noble and brave, and it's type of uh, 
type of character that, you know, if you were to imagine a mother telling a daughter what a good husband might be in a heroic way. He rescues he the princess yeah. from the monster, yeah. marries her, sure. and has a plethora of children. But sure, yeah, and lives happily ever after. There is some tragedy. He does kill his grandfather, but, you know, mistakenly. Yeah. And, you know, so the, but that just shows you that, you know, the fate can't be escaped, right? Like, he does his thing, and he comes back, and he kills his grandfather. And his descendants state. include... Uh, Heracles. Please. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was trying to remember. I'm pretty sure it's on the mother's side. I think it's Alcmena. I think Perseus is on um, is related to Alcmena, not Amphitron. I could be wrong on that. I don't. You know, I, I know it's a couple generations. They're like a great grandfather. Well, mythological family. family trees are yeah. so convoluted yeah, to start with. <laughs> he's one of them, right? And yeah. and so he is a great progenitor figure that is linked to other heroes in the in the in the story. Well, in the corpus of Greek myths, and Heracles himself is a huge foundational figure. The Heraclidae, for example, right? The the children of Heracles. That's like what the Spartans or whatever, right? Or whatever, <laughs> whatever the Dorians were that came down from up north. But um, yeah, so he's a, he's a really good good uh, figure that has a, a good adventure story attached to him, and lots of myths, lots of myth texts, and lots of mythology courses all start with him. Uh, that's why we, I kind of like just flash by him a little real quickly because he's a little too he's much. A little of, too good. He's to kind be of like what you call like a white hat, yeah. Right? You know, and he just sort of doesn't like. He's almost mm. too good to be interesting. Yeah, it's a parts of a story that make it interesting. Yeah, well, anyways, he does. You got Andromeda in there, which turns mm-hmm. out to be his princess wife, who's extremely beautiful, is rescued by him on his way back from um, to. Uh, Argos, I believe, is his place of birth. Is it Argo? Is it uh, an Argolitic oh, don't, hero? Don't quiz me. I, I can't remember. I'm well, not hundred percent certain. Yeah, that's fine. It, that's, that's a minor thing. But uh, um, that is, uh, he's flying back by uh, Ethiopia and mm. sees Andromeda mm. chained to the mountain mm. or the cliff, rock or cliff. Right, and and it's now we got the sea monster. Poseidon mm-hmm. enraged over the. Over the boasting Cassiopeia, right? Mm-hmm. Andromeda's mother. And Cassiopeia is a constellation. And um, Cepheus, her father. Oh, yeah, that's Andromeda's the king. father, the right. king. Right. So we have Perseus, we have Andromeda, we have both of Andromeda's parents. Yes. And the sea monster yes. and Pegasus as constellations, all in that section. All in that of area. Sky. Yeah. Sky, which I mean, it's a pretty big section of sky, but it, it that is. section of sky yeah, so is all that story. Northeast, I think, pretty much primarily in the northeast. Yeah. And it's yeah. fascinating that you know he's one of the earliest Greek heroes that we have, and yeah. that, that he's the one. Like it's not Heracles and his exploits up oh, yeah. there, right? But yeah, it's that's Perseus for a different one. His, yeah, and his exploits taking all of that space. Yeah, well, he's one of the very first ones that goes through this process of catastrophization. So the myth explains mm-hmm. the presence of that figure. And then now we have a constellation, to use the term, of associated heroic figures or uh, people that are associated in his myth that populate that area of sky. So it, it really t- it tells me that when those that convention occurred, they occurred very close together. Right, because then there's they're all connected, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like they waited 500 years and went, gee, I wonder if that shape there looks like it could possibly be it just doesn't work well, that here's, way. Well, here's the interesting you know? thing, and you've already alluded to this, yeah. um, the connection with the Mesopotamians. Yes. And they already had astro- um, astrology. Astrology and astronomy used to be one thing. Yes, it's um, one it's, science. It, this separation of astrology mm-hmm. and astronomy yes. that we have is very modern. Uh-huh. So it was all rolled into one, mm-hmm. one big ball of wax. Right. Um, so the Babylonians had... A constellation that was referred to as the old man yeah um, which the Greeks then interpreted as Perseus right there yeah 
Um, and Perseus, interestingly, um, in the 19th century, and again, I'll put these pictures on yeah. the website at some point, um, actually depicted Perseus holding the head of Medusa. So they, yes. they included a couple of stars that we don't include now and yeah. said that there he is holding the head of Medusa. Unfortunately, and I really do think this is unfortunate, yeah. that interpretation of the constellation did not catch on. No. And so we're just left with Perseus without the head of Medusa. Right. And, what and, a wasted opportunity. Well, I know, but I know what you're talking about because that style of art, the way they draw those yeah. in. And they fill in. There's so much like detail that they just sort of add from the imagination. Yeah. But then again, you can see the artist saying, but, how do I signal to my audience to tell them who this person is? And then that artist says in their mind, well, if it's just a guy, no one's going to know who this is. It needs to be an identifying marker. Why not have well, the Gorgon's head? Well, and, yeah. and we'll just include these couple of stars yeah. over here. Yeah, and we'll just say, say that that's Medusa's <laughs> head. Medusa's yeah, head. exactly. So, you know, it's that's part of the process. Yeah. And all of these constellations um, of Perseus's myth were all identified by Ptolemy um, from the second century AD. I think I mentioned that already. But yeah, I do know that there are 88 constellations. I think the Today, majority of them have been done by that time that you're mentioning. Uh, 48. Oh, Ptolemy, about a little more than half. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ptolemy right. identified forty-eight. Well, this whole southern hemisphere has yet to be. Where Where's my head at? Well, yeah. yeah. We shouldn't say yet to be explored because yeah. obviously people were living there and had their their constellations yes. for the sky that they saw. Absolutely. But from a Western perspective, from the Western perspective, it yes. was it was unknown. Yeah. To to. Yeah, we only had the top of the bowl, top of the sphere. Although the Greeks did circum, there is an argument. Yeah. A rather strong argument that I believe that Greeks circumnavigated Africa. So. Yeah, I believe that too. Yes. Um, so, but anyway, that's yeah, a whole other. That's another whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's Perseus, uh -huh. and then Perseus's wife, Andromeda. Yeah, Perseus, Andromeda. Yeah. So, um, Cassiopeia, yeah. Cepheus, you mentioned, the king. Mm -hmm. any, any other ones over there that we... Ketus. Oh, the monster. And Pegasus. Right, so, okay. Andromeda is yeah. one of the largest constellations in the sky. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the, how much area she takes up yeah. and she has been referred to in the past as the chained lady or variations thereof because of course she yeah. was chained, chained, to, to the chained to the rock yeah. and again interesting the Greeks take something that is familiar to them from an, another culture and reinterpret it into their myth yeah. um, and the Babylonians had a variation on Andromeda wasn't the exact same set of stars was part of what is our what we know as Andromeda was, and part of another constellation yeah what, I don't what remember did they what, call it and it was a Babylonian fertility goddess oh like a Inanna um, or, you know, I didn't, it didn't what I was reading okay. didn't give, it, give it. an exact name but it said it was a, a goddess associated with fertility yeah so again so they're not even using the exact same no. constellation but right. they kind of take part of it and mash it but together hey, with something female, else, right? Female yeah. form, right? Yeah. Um, there is no sui generis creation in this area. You know what I mean? Like there's no ab initio, like from the beginning. Someone yeah. just looks up and goes, gee, let's make like some Greek comes out of the aggro one day and goes, wow, look at those five things over there. Let's <laughs> let's make something up for that. No, like it always comes from a previous tradition, right? So yeah. it's really hard when you're kind of moving in and out of these yeah. situations. So you can see there's like a female figure then the Greek take on it is it's Andromeda, the Babylonian was, it's Inanna maybe, or who knows, right? Yeah. And the old man was cool. I like and so man. through time and culture yeah. and, and space. Yeah. So then we had Cepheus, who is Andromeda's father. He's the king of Ethiopia. And yeah. he's, he's the one that 
Um, Andromeda is actually already engaged, correct? To yeah. a suitor. Yeah, this is in Ovid's Metamorphosis, this story. They pay terribly for the, uh, the um, well, Cassiopeia, the wedding, the suitor, they're all turned to stone, right? All our men are, are petrified, aren't they? By uh, Perseus on his return flight. He yes. rescues Andromeda. He learns about this situation and they are a little bit underhanded and duplicitous and they try to turn on him and I think he's absent yeah. with the head. Yeah. And Andromeda is already promised to a, to a suitor yeah. um, when the king says to Perseus, if you rescue her, you can have her. Yeah, yeah. So, so he kind of he kind of creates the situation. Yeah. a he, little bit. Yeah, you know that's a good point because he wasn't looking for a wife. No, they were it, not no, looking for was, a wife for her. They were looking for somebody to rescue her. Yeah, but when I mean he, I mean Perseus. Perseus was not looking. Oh, to, yeah, yeah, for a wife. Yeah, he encountered her, and as a result of this encounter and her immortal beauty and the saving the woman and whatever, she's betrothed to him, right? Yeah. So he comes home with Andromeda. She's well, and we see this so often in myth that. The woman is is kind of a consequence yeah. to the quest. She's totally. not the quest in and of itself. Yeah, not often. Yeah. Not often, yeah. 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 Um, so he's usually depicted sitting on a throne with his hands raised up to the sky, beseeching the gods to rescue his daughter oh. to help him. <laughs> so when when they when they draw him, that's how yeah. that's how okay. he usually is. Yeah, I don't know that one that well. Yeah, no, I'm I, I don't know. I don't think we saw that that constellation mm -mm. Or picked it out. Mm -mm. Um, Cassiopeia. Um, you taught me how to find Cassiopeia. Yeah. How, do you, how do you find Cassiopeia in the sky? Uh, it's usually well, it's um, usually in the northern in hemisphere. The, in the nor <laughs> northern hemisphere. Yeah. It's uh, it's low on the horizon, about say ten to fifteen degrees. Of your arm stretched out, and it is a W shape. So sorry, you stretch out your arm, and if you, it's the if width you put of your, your hand out, you turn your your hand sideways, you raise your thumb, and stick out your pinky finger. Now uh, that's you put your pinky finger on the horizon, and that's 15 degrees. Excellent. So you can just sort of go 15, 30, 45, and you're at a 45-degree angle all the way up to 90 if you want. Cool. Yeah, so it's kind of a way to do quick reckoning of declination and uh, what's the other one? I can't remember. But it's yeah. a quick way to get that, that bearing. So it's a W-shape northeast early on in the evening. Well, let's just say 10 o'clock. If it's clear, you'll see it, and uh, it'll rise and set. like. And is she part of the summer triangle? No, 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 she's, okay. no that's different. she's over on okay. the other side. Okay. Yeah. So in the northern hemisphere, if you're above 35, 34 degrees north, and mm -hmm. I don't know what our, what our, I should have looked up where we are. What, like um, our latitude? Our latitude here. Oh, okay. Um, but she actually is visible year round. So mm -hmm. she's close enough to the North Pole or the Pole Star mm -hmm. that she doesn't set in the northern, in that's the right. northern, northern, well, northern, anyway. Yeah. Okay, um, I'm pretty sure that's the case here. Yeah, so she is depicted seated on a throne, yeah. and she rotates around, and it's her head is towards the North Star. Okay, and so she's actually upside down at some times of the sure. year, clinging to her throne. Oh, the source that, that I read oh, okay. credit that she's that uh, she's very punished. dramatic. Um, so. And her punishment, yeah. or the reason that she is a constellation, is yeah. because of she bragged. Don't upset Poseidon. My <laughs> daughter. Yeah, I know. Well, hey, it's, hey, it's a true statement. Stay away. Don't get in his bad books. Don't. She's. Well, what? It was a. It was beautiful, right? Yeah. My daughter is more, more beautiful, beautiful than the Nereids. Yeah, than the Nereids, and um, you know that I'm a better mother than you know. 
God knows what, right? And and it's like almost a Leto situation. Yeah. So and that's why punished. Andromeda winds up chained, and yeah. that is why Cassiopeia winds up as a constellation. Uh-huh. doesn't really explain why Poseidon's involved. I think there's an intermediary god. Oh, the Perseids are the uh, daughters. Um, not all of them. Some of them are. Um, the Nereids, I mean. The Nereids, I mean. Yeah. yeah, daughters of Poseidon. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they this probably is the same daddy. thing that, that we saw with um, Apollo, uh, no, um, was it Artemis? Yes. And uh, I want to say Niobe. Yeah, and and her daughters, right? Yep. And she bragged about her daughters. Yeah, well, yeah. Apollo and Artemis so were both never, in on that. just never, ever, ever. No, don't compare ever, yourself to a goddess. Ever. Yeah, because they, if they don't do it don't themselves, they'll find somebody to do yeah. it, right? Yeah, and hence the sea monster punishment makes a lot of sense. Yeah, with it being Poseidon. Oh, too, and it's exotic, right? Because he's like flying yeah. around like Superman. It's Ethiopia, and Ethiopia is always equated with magic and on the, uh, the outer realm, you know, and all this stuff, right? Yeah, so it's not, uh, again, just like ancient Greece doesn't fit the modern yeah. boundaries of Greece. Ethiopia yeah. is a somewhat, somewhat vague area, I think, yeah. territory in Africa. It's somewhere, somewhere over there, yeah. or somewhere. <laughs> just point towards Egypt and say, there it is. It's somewhere it's past there. there. Just yeah. go a little bit, you yeah. know. It's, so it, it was kind of on the edges, on on the periphery yeah. of, of their world. So yeah, and magical. Hence, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's a, magical. And magical. It's a mythological landscape. Yeah. And it's a world of adventure. Um, yeah, and... Uh, Do we have any other constellations over there? Yep, yeah, we've got Ketus the sea monster um, yeah. is listed there, and yeah. he comes from a... A Babylonian constellation of a whale, and oh, okay. apparently today he's often referred to as the whale. Right, um, but that's There's interpreted as the sea monster. And again, no whales in ancient Babylonia, so it must have been some other type of monstrous figure. Well, again, looking at how the constellation, I think it would make a fascinating study to yeah. look at how constellations are depicted in art, yeah. um, especially in the 19th century because of these fantastic oh, like illustrations Job? we like have. The, yeah, there's like this this would be a Job thing for sure, no, right? Yeah, no, 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 but I just Old mean like Testament? how people how people draw them, right? Oh, and how they're depicted. That's right. what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um so yeah, so he, sometimes depicted as Job, a whale, yeah. sometimes more of a Job. more of a Sea monster, sea monster kind of thing. Anyway, whatever you work with the yeah. myth. Yeah. And Pegasus is a constellation up there. Cool. Again, borrowed from the Babylonians as a horse. Great. So yeah. Take the horses. horse constellation. Yeah. Add some wings to it. Awesome. And you got Pegasus, son of Poseidon. Who? who yes, uh, of Poseidon and and Medusa. And Medusa. Yeah. And, and, and Poseidon is the horse god. Exactly, and yeah. springs forth from Medusa's head. And same Pegasus head. has a lot of mythology around him too. He does. Yes. Yeah, and we'll be looking at a little bit of that too in the, in the upcoming term because uh, the springs, uh, the Hesiod Spring on the slopes of Mount Helicon is the spot. Reason why there's a spring there because Pegasus touched down, and and when his hoof touches the earth, boom, it makes a spring. And uh, Pegasus is associated with the hero Bellerophon. Yeah, I love Bellerophon. Bellerophon. And awesome. although Bellerophon wanted Pegasus to take him up to Olympus. Uh, yeah, at the end of his story. Yeah. You know, why and not? Didn't, got flying. didn't really work so well. It wasn't Blake Pegasus' fault. No. It was no. Bellerophon's fault, right? Um, but Pegasus is struck down either by lightning or he by Zeus's lightning bolt. Yeah, I, or there's different variations. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bellerophon. Yeah. Went yeah. yeah. Pegasus lived happily ever after in my book. So yeah, so those are kind of the 
Well, those are the constellations we have about the Perseus myth in that little corner of the sky. Yeah, there are other Greco-Roman myth structures in the constellations. Yeah. But they're not um, really part of Orion. That. I mentioned earlier that Orion is one of the few constellations I can pick out because yeah. his belt is that distinctive three, three star stars chain. in a row. Yeah. And he's from Greek myth. He is. You said. Yeah, he is. He's not that popular, though. He, well, you know, there's always a hunter figure in all these narratives, right? And he is associated with Artemis, right? He has... A couple of different birth stories. He has a couple of different death stories. There is no one particular definitive source. Apollodorus talks about him. You can read about the collection in Robert Graves' book and, and see all the different sort of narratives that are woven in and out of there. But he's become sort of a model for this archetypal hunter. And there are even, um, there are even you talk about those um, watercolors that they do that depict the constellations you see from you know the 18th century and so on. Uh, that show him as Heracles, complete with the club and lion skin, right? So he's not just always a mythological hunter. In some traditions, he has a bow, and others, he has a club, and sometimes he has a sword, and sometimes so, he's Heracles, so, sometimes he's associated as Gilgamesh. So he's kind of our Heracles constellation then. Yeah, he's the standard yeah. sort of like warrior hero, right? Okay. That, and then, but the Greeks sort of like this idea, there is a mythological character named Orion, right? He's a son of Poseidon who uh, is an extremely good hunter. So already he's moving into conflict with Artemis and he's given a special power that he can walk on water, right? So he's a Boeotian, he's from Boeotia in Northern Greece. And you know, there's, there's a bunch of stories, but like a quick one would be, I believe he decides to make the heroic decision to go out and to visit uh, Lemnos uh, and um, no, it's not Lemnos. I can't remember. Oh, it's the one Kios. He goes to go to Kios, and uh, that's where Homer's from, right? So he goes to Kios because the princess is there. It's supposed to be particularly beautiful. It's one of these betrothal narratives, right? He gets there. She says, "I'll marry you if you kill all the all the animals, all the wild, scary animals on my island, and uh, Daddy will be particularly happy." Right. Her name's Merope, by the way. I just remember that. And so he says, all right. So because he's a demigod hunter, he does a pretty damn good job of it, right? He wipes out all the lions and all the tigers and all the bears and all the old my nasties on the island. And then when it comes time to, to go through with it, she says that her father does not want him to, to marry the daughter. Sound familiar, right? Sounds like a Pelops narrative, right? That's like Onamalus and uh, Hippodamia. It's all over again. We've just moved it to an island, right? Long story short, once again, the king, right, uh, of Chios blinds Orion. So he's not dead. He, you know, what good is a hunter without his eyes? So, uh, especially if he's quite used to using the bow. And he learns that um, he can be healed um, from. Hephaestus on nearby Lemnos. Usually you don't get Hephaestus as a healing god. No, that's that's yeah. a strange one. Well, what happened in the, in the, I believe that part of it was they were saying he heard the hammer of Vulcan, right? The Romans, right? On, in the workshop on Lemnos, in his blind. Vulcan being Hephaestus. Yeah, Hephaestus. It, he's blind, but he's still here. Well, and that's interesting too, because right? we have the disabled god. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he has a disability, right? Yeah. So he hears it and he walks on the water. He walks to Lemnos, and when he gets there, it, it it's I don't remember all the it's and ands and buts of it, but the long and the short of it is, Vulcan says to him, "Yes, you can be healed. I can't do it." He goes, "But you need to travel to the extreme east, 
to the edge of the universe, right? And Helios will heal you. The healing rays of the sun, right? Yeah, we're yeah. back to that association exactly. of the sun with healing. Yeah, the sun with healing, right? And so he says, you know, well, how am I gonna? I, how am I gonna do that, right? I, how to, so he, one one of um, Hephaestus's attendants in his workshop sits on Orion's shoulders, right? Like Luke Skywalker and Yoda or whatever, right? I was talking about Master Blaster from Mad Max, but I don't know if you know what that is. But it's like the little guy on the, on the guy's shoulders, right? Carries him around. So he provided the visual aid, the guide to say, well, let's go east and walk this way. So they go there and sure enough, they encounter Helios. Helios returns his vision and they return back to uh, Lemnos, right? The attendant returns back to Hephaestus and it's, you know, shake hands and thanks and great, right? There's a whole cycle of myths later after he leaves there, he goes to Crete, meets up with Artemis, birds of a feather flock together, they fall in love, they hunt together, right? Apollo starts to get jealous. And she's a virgin goddess. She's a virgin goddess. She's expressing desire. a desire to sleep with him. He says he will, but um, she says, you have to do this same situation where you know, what are you going to do, right? What will you do for me? And he says, I'll kill every animal on earth, right? Or at least on, on all of Crete, right? As an offering, right? And it's at that point, based on your sources, things will change, but I'll just pick one. Gaia gets involved. The earth itself gets involved and says, can't do that, right? We need the animals, right? So that's when we get Scorpio, the other constellation that's chasing Orion through the sky, or what, that sounds romantic, but it's really just sort of like in the same patch, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, she conjures up this scorpion, and its venomous sting kills Orion. Now, the story could stop there, right? But there's a another death narrative. Like I said, he has a couple of births and he has a couple of deaths. And the other one is one that you'll actually be familiar now that you have some of the characters associated to it. Apollo meets Artemis one day while Orion is off um, walking from one island to another. Remember I told you yeah. he goes? So he's leaving Crete and he's going across Aegean. And she can't see. And Apollo gets involved in the into the archery contest uh, situation. Says, you see that thing way out there over there? Can you hit that? And she's like, yeah, I can hit that. No problem. He's like, you couldn't hit that, right? So... How does that so work she out? So tricks, he tricks Artemis Apollo. into... Killing her lover. Killing yeah. her lover. Yeah. So who, who makes him a constellation? It, like, does he have a constellation story? He does. Story? Yeah, like at, at that end, at that, yeah. at that, at that like very end. Either way he dies. Yeah, he, he um, is granted that process of catastrophization because of Artemis asking daddy. Zeus goes through it. Yeah. And Gaia's involved too. So they, they make a mutual decision uh, to show that that, you know... What happens, you know, the yeah. two of them, this is the thing, this is what he did, and this is the thing that killed him, right? So people yeah. know that there's like a moderating force. It's also sort of like a maybe Zeus's justice kind of thing, right? 
associated with Guy or with the Earth or whatever, right? That's really cool. I was not familiar at all with the story of Orion. Yeah. He's, like, I, I didn't even, I honestly didn't even realize that it, until relatively recently that he was a Greek myth because yeah. I've never, oh, it's I've never come across him anywhere. Yeah. There's only one, there's another Orion, but it's a small boy that rode on a dolphin and was saved oh, by well, a dolphin. Oh, well, that's hardly... It's got nothing to do with the great hunter. Yeah. Like, that, that, that story is from the Babylonian tradition. That is their premier constellation. That is okay. the great king. That's Gilgamesh. That's from the Enuma oh. Elish, right? Okay. That's that's the that's their great hero, right? Um, yeah. So you even get shades of the Orion myth in the Enuma Elish in the Epic of Gilgamesh, or kind of the other way around, right? Yeah. So we're going <laughs> yeah. back to see how yeah. it, where it yeah. came from, because that god, well, that warrior god, that warrior hero, Gilgamesh, traveled to the east to visit the sun god Shamash, and that was the beginning of his. Um, um, I'm going to say healing to get over the death of his partner in Kidu, but also the first step into getting immortality, which led to the constellation that you see. So there's a sun god involved, there's a hero involved in both of those narratives. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of neat. It is. Yeah. yeah. And, and Nick, in every, you know, it's like I was saying before, they continue to fold one layer on top of the other, right? So Babylonian and, and Egyptian and, and Roman and Greek, right? Now, you've been reading Edith Hamilton's book that I, I picked up a copy of Edith Hamilton's book. I didn't get, no, I didn't get a chance no, to. you didn't get a chance no. to? Oh, shoot. I was yeah. going to segue I, into I that. I just wanted to read the preface. I was reading that other stuff. I yeah. didn't really get a chance yeah. to get at it. But what I did see, I liked. I thought it was, and, and I thought it was approachable. I thought it was well-written. It wasn't overly complicated. It was not designed to trick you with weird names. And it was the type of thing that I would encourage um, and people who are interested in mythology to definitely get, you know, yeah. and it's structured well. I like the Robert, I, I haven't read the Edith Hamilton. Mm -hmm. I buy books and put them in a pile to read. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> we all do that. But uh, the Robert Graves book, I really like. If you're interested in the nuances of, now it's a very old text, right? Because yeah, it's like was, 1955. Yeah, yeah, so that's like, a lot, you know, mm -hmm. 70 years ago mm -hmm. almost um so yeah but he gives the myth and then so he puts all the pieces together and tells you tells you the story but then he goes back through it and he talks about the different sources where this is mentioned and where that is mentioned. Yeah, he tries so it's to. very thorough and mm -hmm. he tries to he tries to give you all of the different variations and, and where and where those come sure. from so that's a that's a good text i think if you're just looking as a starting place to yeah. get into some mm -hmm. of the technicalities so you well, want a little bit more than just a story absolutely you, you do some of the technicalities. but yeah because that one has the beginning of the scholarship yeah. of it and now there's a plenty of debate about robert graves yeah. scholarship and that's that's not what we're yeah. here to talk about but um edith hamilton's doesn't really have that integration of sources yeah. that a scholar or academic might yeah. look for because they want to go off and find a little bit more detail about that particular girl. Yeah. But it, like I said, it's still very approachable and still very well, well written and it has the level of detail in it that is still worthy of, of uh, a high grade um, a scholar and historian. Well, and just as myth wasn't fixed for the ancients, for the, for, yeah. for the Greeks, it's still not fixed today. No. Because as you as you mentioned, yeah. um, even Robert Graves' scholarship, I mean, it's 60, 60 70 years old. Yeah. And 
we have different theories. To, we totally. have different ways of approaching myth. We yeah. have different evidence that has come to light, and mm-hmm. it's constantly evolving. Well, I mean, they, that's what, they, that's what, what totally, and, that, and that's they, what it's all about. The type of things that the people would accuse him of are the types of things that you can accuse the ancient Greeks or the Romans, for that matter, of doing. They pick what sources they want to highlight. They pick which narratives they think are the more interesting, and they assemble a story. Yeah, so just bear that in mind when you are, and I know this is something we mention frequently, um, because I'm sure you've met, you know, people who are very passionate about myth, but they are just familiar with with, with one version and, and haven't explored some of the some of the variations. And, right, the, or, and those variations are really interesting and they tell us a lot about the people who are telling the stories. Right, or they are those people, whatever, who met this person might be, they are um, often uncomfortable with the variation because our modern culture with our narratives and often we like them to be pretty fixed. Yeah. Our our scientific background and our logic Right makes us inherently inflexible to most of these types of things. So um, maybe that's a pattern that you could break. Not, I don't yeah. mean you or me. I mean like Just people in general. In, in general, yeah, yeah. In general, if they could try yeah. to recognize it and have some degree of, of malleability uh, or some different types of way, some different type of optic to put on to see things in a different light. I think it'll make things much more pleasant for you in your life in general. Gee, that sounds like a self-help book. Right? <laughs> I should write like, you know, with the sword and the sandals, a uh, hero's quest, self-help book, you know, mythology, the self-help book or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How the hero saved me. So I think we'll wrap up our conversation there. Did you want to talk about uh, what book that uh, what books you're reading or what books you? Um, I'm not reading anything classical oh, okay. or myth related at I, the I, moment. I, I but did. you've been reading the book Cleopatra, uh, and yeah, I did. I did, but I wanted yeah. to mention something about Wonder Woman because we're oh, still on yeah. topic. Yeah. Um, this is the 25th today, and yesterday was the day that Wonder Woman opened in Japan, and it's. Um, Supposed to do very well there. It's, a, it re- it's been received, doing very it well. Received here. a little bit of controversy. We're bra- looking at it to break over eight hundred million. So depending on on how things go, which it should, it will be. It's already the number one hero story as far as hero genesis stories are concerned. It's on track to break the sort of holy grail of of uh, superhero movies, which is the very first Spider-Man, by the way, like back in the Tobey Maguire era. Because when that hit, it was the beginning. We were just like, you know, no one. Yeah. We didn't really know. It was like, wow, Superman? I mean, Spider-Man movie? And they I remember out. that one. <laughs> yeah, everybody saw yeah. it. It was a huge, was huge. thing. So it, that's, but that's the one they have to break. But we're looking like it's going to be doing that. And actually, Wonder Woman continues to draw some controversy. James Cameron, were you reading about James Cameron um, I, today? I saw some of the controversy on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not read what he actually said, but it didn't. It, it is, was disheartening yes, <laughs> to hear what he had to say. It's an excellent little thing to look at. If this at all concerns you, uh, as far as the um, heroic narrative and the roles of men and women, uh, and um, the presentation of women and men, because I believe he was trying to argue that she wasn't a feminist. That's right. She, he, he. His point was to say that. Um, Hollywood blew an opportunity and instead embraced and created or promoted a character, a female hero, who was just a guy, basically a pretty man, you know, this type of thing, right? I'm and, not sure if I buy that. Well, because, you know, because James, Cam- James Cameron, Jim Cameron said, because real women heroes, right, are like the heroes that are in my movies. Oh, of course right? they are. A la Sigourney Weaver and Aliens. 
Ala, um, uh, Sarah Connor, right? Linda, Linda Hamilton's character in Terminator 2. And there was an excellent response and rebuttal to that, which I think understands the nuance of the argument. When Cameron just comes on and says, oh, they're not she's not a female hero she's basically just a male hero who just does you know happens to look nice right but he's running so into that whole not, dichotomy that a female hero can't be this yeah ass yeah can't exactly warrior woman yeah and which i so, which i totally disagree with because that's not yeah. even part of the classical tradition yeah right look at the ancient look at the amazons themselves no yeah. one says well yeah they're beautiful so what okay what's the point right yeah. so uh, but the whole thing was the, the only reason why he said that is because it's kind of self-protectionist in a way. His heroes have a common theme. Their heroics, right, are always um, generated by their um, roles as mothers. So, ah, so the essentialism right. that woman equals womb. Womb and baby, baby, and therefore all heroics are generated by mother's concerns for fertility okay. or children, right? And not, and not in any other way, right? So to, in his mind, that disqualified, put a box Can around everything. Can you see everything. the steam coming out of my ears? I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, but it's so true. Like, I don't, I mean, it's so true that, that he would see it that way. Yes. And, and it's totally false. Like, but um, like in Linda Hamilton's character of Sarah Connor, she is motivated to affect the future because societies on the, will be destroyed through nuclear Armageddon, Right. But it's the loss of children. It's the loss of her son. It's the loss of her family that motivates her. She's protection. Ah. She wants to protect her son for the future. Whereas right? with Wonder Woman, it, there's it's altruistic. Yeah, there's no. She's not. She doesn't have a, doesn't have a son, right? Yeah. She seems to have a fascination with babies, but you know, again, remember, well, remember, they're, she's they're like, oh, baby. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. you don't see a lot of them on Themyscira, right? No. So, might have been part of it. And and, she, and she's and she's. In in love with maybe yeah. maybe not yeah like I mean I shouldn't say maybe maybe not but to to what she, degree you can you, you can argue she's, she's Steve a, Trevor you Steve mean. Trevor sure yeah it's important she's the, love and sexuality and all that yeah. stuff is is fine it that's part of what she is but she's and, not driven by it's not by in one province yeah, yeah. yeah it's a minor province of a whole yeah. thing so like the the uh, and the other character in, in the James Cameron world that I you know linked to Linda Linda Hamilton that was in this this piece was Sigourney Weaver and in that particular one she's lost all her family because she's sort of a woman outside of time but she decides to fight against the aliens right uh, because she's protecting a little girl that she found and she adopts that little girl her name's Newt it's a motherhood she, again. She, yeah it's again motherhood so she projects that onto her that protect that protection idea and even fights against the queen which is another kind of fascinating thing too because it has women fighting women over this same idea about fertility and the promulgation of, of children but uh those are cameron's heroic females right so yeah. when he looks at wonder woman he says he goes he disqualifies it because he just says well it's she's it's, not a mother it's not a mother and and she's not what what's the basis for her heroics yeah. he, he thinks it's alien well to use the term but he doesn't recognize it because he can't equate a woman being heroic for heroic sake yeah right there's nobility in the character that exists beyond simply i have to protect uh my child yeah right? well and like like we talked about like wonder woman yes she's she's in love with steve trevor but that's not her driving force. Yeah. She was determined to go yeah, to do the those war. Things. Yeah. The war. Yeah. The war. And if yeah. and if it hadn't been Steve Trevor, if it yeah. had been somebody else, 
it still more likely would have happened. Yeah, it still would have yeah. happened. It did did change it at the end. A little bit, when yeah. When he sacrificed because she himself. Get the, yeah, yeah be, but that's what's going to keep her going. Yeah. That's what I would say, right? But it's not her motivating. So, it's, no. It's not her motivating No, it's not desire. involved in her... Um, in her birth, in her genesis. And it's still possible that even without that, that she would have still conquered Ares, that, that she would not have gone over to Oh, him. yeah. Like, yeah. it certainly helps persuade her, but... Yeah. It's a team thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought that was good. So, very yeah. timely. So, watch how Wonder Woman does in in the theater and, and see what, what it's going to be selling. Uh, there was some other controversy about some Japanese posters, but I don't really want to get into that. They're old now, and I'm sure they probably changed the advertising campaign to reflect something more uh, in tune to the character, right? Mm -hmm. They tried to they <laughs> they tried to sell her as some naive, fair unknown trope, like again because she didn't didn't she didn't understand love and she was moving into a world of men and all this. And I'm like. What 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 movie are they watching? That's not what I saw, right? So, but again, they're selling an idea yeah. that they think that the Japanese market will need. They even have the you know who Sailor Moon is, right? You yeah. know anime. As Sailor Moon, the woman that does the voice for Sailor Moon does Wonder Woman's voice. Oh, interesting. So in a Japanese market, when they hear her speak, they're like, I Sailor know Moon. that. Yeah. And they know Sailor Moon, right? They'll know yeah. this actress, this voice, That's very famous voice actress. So that adds another whole sort of valence to the whole thing, but that's kind of beyond the scope of what we're talking yeah. to. But kind of neat. So so we have listener mail. We do. I'm all excited to get to our listener mail. That's right. Let's do um, it. Martin sent us a Martin. very a very lovely email mm -hmm. um, through our blog yep. contact form, which is mythtake.blog. Myth and uh, I'm not going to read all of it aloud, mm -hmm. but he tells us that he, um, well, I'll read the first little bit. Okay, sure, go ahead. Wanted to tell you that I found you through your feedback and mention on Better Podcasting. Oh, yes. And had to check you out. I've been binging your podcasts at work. I just finished Jupiter slash Zeus episode today. I'm absolutely loving your show. Thank you very much, Martin. Thanks, Martin. That's great. Um, I always have mixed feelings when I hear that people are binging our show because I'm like, I don't know if I could listen to myself that long. But if you're enjoying but, it, that's great. But you do that with other podcasts. <laughs> but not, I binge other podcasts. Yeah, so, see, yeah. that's kind of the bathwater yeah. analogy. Um, yes, yeah. Better Podcasting um, is a podcast about podcasting. Yes. And uh, there are a couple of really, really helpful guys um, on that show that have... Um, that we've been in touch with. And we're a few very times. generous. Yes. In and yes. Yes. Um, Martin is also a podcaster, um, and he asked, or, well, I guess I'm going to mention his uh, his podcast that yep. might be of interest to some of our listeners mm -hmm. with the whole mythological narrative that aspect. Is. So he's the host of, so Martin's the host of two podcasts, Tomorrow's Legends, mm -hmm. which covers the DC TV show Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, I love that. Anytime, yeah. Martin, you want to talk about that show and I'm available, you let me know, because okay. I can't wait for it to start again. Okay. I think October, actually, it's going to be coming on again. So that podcast is going to be going into its third season. Yeah. And he recently took over another DCTV show um, po related podcast, Arrow Squad, which is the show. It's Arrow. on Arrow. Another one yes. I watch as yes. well. But again, it's off season. Yeah. So. Um, and he and he shares some of his podcasting experience. And he does. Martin, thank you for, um, for, for mentioning and because we will mention it again. If you're listening to our podcast, don't start with the first episode because we're terrible. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> does that. Everybody does that. Everybody we do does know that, that yeah, know. The, there are audio issues with the earlier 
earlier episodes, and maybe someday we will go back and fix those and remaster them or whatever the fancy term Water is. under the bridge. But I don't have the time for that right no. now. So they are what they are, um, and we hope that you can listen past the... Um, the inconsistencies and the mistakes we make and it does get better the longer you go on so thank you very much martin for listening and why, you, why did he want to email us though just oh, to he say was, yeah, he liked yeah, it yeah yeah oh yeah. i thought he had a, a plan oh, yeah here. yeah well nothing we can oh, announce okay. yet oh, but yeah oh, so uh okay yeah stay tuned faithful so listeners he says that you guys have reawakened my love of mythology and it has me thinking of an episode dedicated to that oh. on uh, a new show um that he's going to be launching um, at some point, Good. so we'll we'll uh, we'll pass on to our listeners when, when Martin starts his uh, his uh, new show. So get in touch with us, please. We love to we love to know that we're not just shouting into a void. Um, we are on Twitter. I'm at Innes Allison, and I'm at Darren Sundstrom. Just use, use the hashtag #MythTake, and we'll find there. you sooner or later. It's on the blog. The blog is the, really the best way to get in touch with us. We've got a contact form that sends it straight to our inbox. We don't, we should set up an email maybe at some point for voice feedback because that's the big trend with podcasts. But we don't have that yet, so just uh, contact is, us. It's actually pretty easy to do yeah. on Facebook. If you want it, if oh, you leave a, yes, if, you go a Facebook to, page. if you go to your Facebook page, go to MythTake Facebook, just go to your Facebook.com slash MythTake. Yeah, and, and you want to leave a comment. The default is, you know, I always think type stuff. Text, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you want to record something with your laptop microphone or whatever, just you talking, you can save that file to your desktop. Oh. And then you can just drag it over to it, and then it's right there. You might want to put some words around it or something that sort of tells me what's going on. But it'll be there. Yeah. And yeah. Darren, it's easy to do. Darren runs most of our Facebook page now. And you have some new Try drive it. time. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're a sporadic podcast. Yeah. We're regularly sporadic. I'm up to episode 11 on drive time. Yeah, so if yeah. you're looking for uh, bit-sized bits of myth, that's right. Um, you can hit those up there. And we are working. Um, we had a listener suggestion to put some of those into our podcast stream so that you'll get them as downloads. Maybe. So we're going to work on that, yeah. on, on making some of those available um, same way we make our regular episodes. But for now, you can find the link to those on the Facebook page. Um, mm -hmm. as well and they're just short little two or three minute snippets of Darren talking about myth that's all yeah myth or yeah. you know silly stuff yeah yeah so <laughs> silly stuff <laughs> silly stuff I, I, I love, that what we I love the way I just like disqualify it yeah I don't worry about yeah. it it's uh, hey you know it'll be worth something when it gets to 50 <laughs> that's what I'm looking for <laughs> Yeah. Um, so thank you to all of our Patreon listeners Absolutely. and support, our supporters. Um, we'll tag you in at the end of the show, but uh, we picked up one or two new ones. And I was we... using my Patreon app the other day. It works really great for the phone. You can find your podcast. You can submit content. Yeah. I saw our supporters on there. I'm thankful yeah. for their um, continued loyalty to the, to the podcast. I see Patreon as a continuation of the bardic tradition, yeah. where bards would travel around and you'd offer them food and drink. And Sometimes I'd rather have house. a hamburger, you know, like, you know. Yeah, but when they give yeah. us money, you get a hamburger. Oh, okay. So. Well, I guess so. <laughs> um, so it's a continuation of the ancient uh, bardic, and, okay. and, and some kind of ancient tradition of uh -huh. storytelling. That's, okay. how, that's how I choose to sure. see it anyway. I, like that. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you need to sponsor the arts. It's not very often that the patron client idea continues to exist in the modern framework so here you go you can call yeah. yourself a patron of the arts and what's that what is that it cost me a buck and, yeah you know, for as little for as, as a dollar, little a month, dollar or, or i'm you, a patron of the arts for a podcast an independent podcast 
Or if you and you can support us as long as you wish. If you only want to support us for one dollar, that's great too. We do appreciate it. It's a vote of confidence in us, and mm-hmm. it, it uh, encourages us to keep going. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for that. Um, it is kind of past the prime time for the meteor shower, but do get out. Um, just get out in the sky. Look, spend some time looking at the, the night dark sky. night sky. Yeah. Play around with one of the many apps out there. Or none. Or none. And yeah. spend some time yeah. looking at those same stars. Plain old binoculars. Uh, the ancients did. Yeah, plain old yeah, binoculars. Yeah, you don't even need binoculars. Just get out there. Image intensifiers and isolators. Yeah. I'll tell you about those on the next podcast. Okay. All right. Have a good night. Good night. This episode of Myth Take is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, Erica Dilworth, Joelle Barfoot, Avon McMaster and Mark Sunderham, Stargate Pioneer, and Greg Bue. Myth Take is a labor of love, and your support helps defray the costs of web hosting and equipment. To learn how you can support the show, please visit patreon.com slash mythtake. This podcast is created, recorded, and produced by Allison Innes and Darren Sundstrom. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mythtake, or on Twitter with the hashtag mythtake. For more information about the show, including the show notes, music credits, or to get in touch, visit our website at mythtake.blog. We are part of the Humanities Podcast Network, so follow the hashtag HumanitiesPodcasts on Twitter to discover new podcasts. See you next episode.